Hello, just before we begin this week's episode, I'm walking a very special musical Camino in May 2024, and I'm inviting you to join me. Won't you join me? Won't you join me? I'm walking from Leon to Santiago de Compostela in the first three weeks of May next year. I'll be performing concerts along the way. Pilgrims walking with me will pay a fee and every cent will go towards making my new album, Storyteller. We are already selling spots, so if you're interested, join now. Just go to danmullinsmusic.com. There's a list of frequently asked questions and a basic itinerary. Won't you join me? Won't you join me? Join me for a magical musical Camino. To reserve your spot, go to danmullinsmusic.com. Won't you join me? Won't you join me? Welcome to my Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. It's great to have your company. This is a podcast about El Camino de Santiago, a series of pilgrimages across Europe. Pilgrims walk for any number of reasons. Some know why they're walking before they leave. Some realize why they're on a pilgrimage on their way to the Camino. Others, while they're walking. And some don't discover why until they're home, back living their local lives. Most pilgrims notice something has changed or is changing. That's the joy of pilgrimage. It's a journey, a step-by-step pathway to a new you. The American biochemist and pharmacologist John Jacob Abel said, Greater even than the greatest discovery is to keep open the way to future discovery. One of the reasons I continue to produce this podcast every week is the opportunity to connect with people, with pilgrims, all around the world. It's their stories, their experiences, their enlightenment that inspires me and encourages me. It's like one of those incredible moments on the Camino when you start a conversation with a simple hola and end up talking to a stranger for hours. That stranger, in inverted commas, becomes a friend, a confidant, someone you feel you can trust, even though you just met them. They don't really know anything about you, or you about them, but there is a deep connection. You have discovered something about each other, and yourselves. Greater even than the greatest discovery is to keep open the way to future discovery. My guest this week is a British-based Australian pilgrim, Gail Nicholson. Gail wrote to me to say she'd been wanting to walk a Camino for over 10 years, and then the world, hers and ours, was turned upside down. Gail's on the line. Welcome, pilgrim. Hi, Dan. It's so wonderful to be here. I've loved your podcast for so long. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It really is. So you waited 10 years to walk your first Camino. You were all ready. Tell us what happened then. Well, it was three years ago, the 
infamous year of everything coming to a halt. I had planned to walk with a friend, as you say, um, a stranger who becomes a friend. I'd met her in Scotland and we had even met up to do some training together, booked our flights, had the first few nights in Porto booked and then, of course, um, COVID came. So we had to cancel all of that and it took another three years but I finally got there and I, I went on my own this time. Yeah. Do you remember how you first heard about the Camino Gal? I do. It's some years ago now, actually more than 10 years ago, I was listening to, in Australia, listening to the ABC chat show when podcasts were first out. And I forget what it was called, Life Something. And I used to love listening to that because the podcaster had really interesting people to interview. And he interviewed a priest who was explaining this long walk that he did all the way across Spain. And I remember feeling horrified. thought, why on earth would someone do that? But, of course, being a priest, and it said it was a pilgrimage. And this is before it became really popular, before The Way, the movie The Way was produced. And that, that was my first impression, put it to the back of my mind. And then I guess it was a few years later that I watched The Way, And it just, you know, little seeds started to grow. And um, eventually by, yeah, about 10 years ago, 2013, 2014, I was biting at the bit to come over and started reading books. All in all, I read about 10 books, including Shirley MacLaine's wonderful book and Paul Coelho's. And, yeah, we're just waiting for the right time, I guess, Dan. So you read all these books what did you find most intriguing about the books? What did you take out of them? What was it the one thing that you thought, ah, that's that's the little piece of information I treasure most? It was the spiritual aspect of it. I started my own spiritual journey back in about 1997, yeah, what, over 20 years ago. And it, listening to Shirley, um, I mean, she did, seemed to think she had a lot of past lives with people, but it was fascinating. And then other people um, like Sonia Choquette, a Hay House author, they were talking about the transformation that they went through. And that's what I found most fascinating being on my spiritual path was how it can transform your life to be a better person and to be kinder and more compassionate And I was going through a lot of change and I thought this would be just wonderful. I'd be curious to know what what could it do for me? What was the catalyst for the change that you saw a more spiritual sort of journey? What was that? Why? Well, I've had a bit of a tumultuous life, I would say, with relationships. Um, It just seems like, and I've learned that this is my life purpose this time through. I do believe in reincarnation. And it just seemed like, well, I've been, what, since 1988, I've been married and divorced twice. I was engaged to be married a third time. And and just in in some other work-related instances, I've just had some real challenges in relationships. So I just felt that it might help me there. I was a healthy person, so I didn't at that stage, and I didn't need a health transformation. But I had just been through so many wonderful spiritual experiences in workshops, in my training as an energy practitioner, energy medicine. Mm. 
And I, I was just curious and I think that's what a lot of spiritual people are, wondering what more could happen, what else is possible. Yeah, I want to get to that aspect of your life, the energy healing, which really fascinates me, I have to say. But you didn't do the Camino Frances. Tell us about the Portuguese coastal Camino and that experience. Ah, well, I'm sure you've heard a lot about it recently from your wife too, but it was incredible. Yeah, it was, I only, um, I chose that one because of the length, because I was in a full-time job at at the time as a teacher. I am a supply teacher here in the UK, but I was covering a maternity um, leave teacher and I I knew that I couldn't take any more time out like when I am day-to-day supply or some people know of it as substitute teachers or relief teacher. So anyway, I was on this contract and I thought this is the perfect length. We had three weeks holiday over the Easter period and I I just knew that it could fit well. I took the three weeks, but I only walked for 14 days of it. I wanted a few days in Porto first to really explore and get to know Porto, which I'm really glad I did. And then I wanted a few days at the end to just reflect and, and explore Santiago de Compostela. I knew I wouldn't fit in walking to Finisterre or Murcia, but I will next time. <laughs> and you found yourself in Portugal and Spain in Easter, which is an experience in itself, as I understand. Oh, very much so. I highly recommend that to your listeners to um, to plan around Easter if they can. It's a quieter time. It's when it's all starting to get going. In the beginning, it's quieter. But over Easter itself, because Portugal is a very spiritual place and and Spain, very religious, I mean, sorry, they apparently make it out to be a bigger event than Christmas. And so I was very lucky um, a couple of mornings and evenings I saw activity going on there. I can't remember which town, one of the little villages, it might have been um, even Espacende, I think, where as I walked out in the morning, people were getting ready. Um, It was Palm Sunday and there were locals walking down all the laneways in their costumes with baskets of palms and other plants, children in in like Arab kind of costumes or, yeah, whatever it was to them. It was very special. And then when I was in Vigo, the big town of Vigo, uh, walking back from um, having dinner with one of my new Camino friends, there was a whole parade. The parade was of the seven um, segments of the Easter story. So I think my jaw just dropped the whole time. It was so fascinating. I was so grateful and it was just such a blessing to be there. Being from Australia, uh, our culture, well, our British culture is only a couple of hundred years older. Our Indigenous culture is 60,000 years old, but when we see those traditional celebrations and commemorations in Europe, we get kind of, you've been doing this for centuries, you know, it's it's so special, isn't it? And it's such a delight for someone from Australia to see something like that. Absolutely. And, you know, I almost didn't go out that night, the one in Vigo, because I was absolutely exhausted. I think I had I had walked over 30 kilometres a couple of days previous, which wasn't intended, but it happened that way. And my friend texted me 
And I said, oh, you know what, I think I could just crash out tonight. But we made the effort. We had a lovely time in down at the harbour mm. and then to see this parade. The only downside of it is that it did get very, very busy on the Camino because that is such a big national holiday for Portuguese and Spaniards that the tracks, the route started to get very, very busy. Accommodation was booking out. In fact, I had to stay in a hotel in Vigo because none of the albergues were available. But that was that was fine. You know, it's just I decided to let my spontaneity go. I had to, so I booked ahead about three nights ahead each day. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to be assured that I had somewhere to stay. Well, sometimes it's better to be safe than sorry. Hey, yeah. Gail, tell us why you lit prayer candles in many of the churches that you came upon. Oh, that that was, um, I guess, one of the highlights, just the feeling that I got. Sadly, I, I have a younger sister with early onset dementia, which she got diagnosed at 55 and she's 61 now and needing full-time care. And my mother, who's 91 now, she is going blind with macular degeneration and a number of other friends, a good friend's dear mother who... I've known since I met my friend 40 years ago, our first year teaching in Mackay. She has macular degeneration and melanoma, so they're watching her very carefully. And, yeah, I believe prayer is an energy, not being religious myself but very spiritual. I wanted to send out love from the beautiful uh, environment, atmosphere, high-energy um, places that I was visiting and all of the churches, of course, as you know, are very ornate and just beautiful. So, yeah, I lit candles wherever I could find a church that had that facility for you. And most of them were open most of the time. Yeah, and the lighting of the candle, it just is almost like you're leaving that thought there. There's a little bit of hope associated with that, isn't it? Yes, and, and I would send healing, love yeah. healing. I, I do a lot of distance healing. And so with the prayer candle, I believe that was sending energy out from the love in that place to the hearts of my loved ones. I surrounded them with the Christ light, which is what I do in my energy work, and sent an intention to help ease their pain, to ease their suffering, to make it a smooth path for them, whatever was to come next. I don't want to pry. Perhaps this is a question I might have asked you if I was walking beside you on the Camino and we got to talking. But if your mum is 91, is it unusual for your sister to develop dementia so young? Oh, yes. It's very tragic. Yeah, we're all... Um, yeah, very. Um, what's but yeah, very upset about it. It's it's just awful. And my mother, of course, she really feels it. Uh, I think she wishes she could replace, you know, swap mm. places, because she's had an amazing life. My father passed away seven years ago, and she's been very lonely. And now she's losing her sight. She's not able to do her cross-stitching, um, her gardening so well, the weeding. Yeah, she's very bored and, I, yeah, I, I think that upsets her a lot that she's got a daughter who won't have the amazing retirement that she had with our father. They travelled the world. They were really into orchids being in North Queensland. It's very tropical. And they travelled the world themselves 
going to orchid conferences and always added on a holiday to explore. And so my sister and her husband, especially her husband, who's been very loyal and supportive, will miss that. And it's very sad. I remember my wife's um, mother, Joyce, she died just a year ago now, I guess. And she had dementia. And I kind of felt as if it was like she was drifting away from us. There was nothing we could do. There was no rope to pull her back to us. There was no there was no method of connection or, or maintaining a connection. It's just like she drifted away. And and watching my wife and her siblings sort of become more and more frustrated and upset that there really is nothing anyone can do. That sense of helplessness makes it even more difficult, doesn't it? It does. And I spent a glorious week with my sister and her husband last year when I visited Australia for two and a half months. I put that week down to the the highlight of my two and a half months there. I was reassured and encouraged by seeing her carers in action. They would come from, I think, seven in the morning till five in the evening, two or three different carers during that time. They had wonderful activities for her and were stimulating her. She would do pottery one day. Some uh, She was very creative before all this, super creative. Uh, she used to make prom dresses, wedding dresses. She was an excellent seamstress. And so she was doing these little art activities because she's creative in every area. Another day was gardening and and one lady took us out on a hike and I've become good friends with Rachel. We're friends on Facebook and communicate often and she gives me updates about my sister. And it's so reassuring that those services are available. But because I came back feeling helpless, I decided to join up straight, I think, within the week of being back in, in England. I signed up with Alzheimer's Society UK for their Trek 26 and that was in September, just gone. And I raised um, in, in Australian money about $1,800 for research. And even though it's in the UK, that research will be shared worldwide. So I just felt like that was something I could do. Being a walker, I thought this will help. And I was so glad I could. Yeah, almost $2,000 into the research into dementia. What a fabulous thing. What a fabulous gift. What a fabulous intention. I felt like when I read that in the email that you sent me, I felt like that's another candle that you lit. Yeah. Yes, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so Mm -hmm. what what does Trek 26 mean? What does Alzheimer's Society Trek 26 event look like? It's a 26-mile walk, but they do have a 13-mile option. And I um, initially signed up for the 13 mile. And then I thought, who am I to stay in my comfort zone? Because I, I used to walk that regularly. Now, what is that about 21 kilometers? The 26 mile, I think, was 40 odd, 42 yeah, kilometers. Yeah, that's a marathon. Yeah. Yes, yes, true. And I just thought, who am I not to really challenge myself? She's going through the challenge of a lifetime. And so I changed it. I traded up to the 26 mile. Sadly, though, when the time came over the summer holidays, I was I planned to walk the Great Glenway in Scotland, but wasn't able to because I had a flu. And so my training um, was put 
to a hold. So I, I did back down to the 13 mile. But I still feel like at that time that was a big challenge for me because yeah. I was pretty sore for a couple of days <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> but it was so worth it. The atmosphere there, everyone had a reason, you know, that, like they say in business, what's your why? Everyone knew someone and I chatted to a few people along the way. A family, there was a man and his daughters and they had the same story as for my sister. So we we really aligned and, and comforted each other that we were doing this. And I said to the, the father, you know, I really feel for you because I know what my brother-in-law is going through. And he, he seemed to really appreciate that. So I, I think that was another candle, as you say. Yeah. Yeah, how fabulous that you're part of that community and, and supporting one another. It's kind of like a Camino in, in, a, in a sense, isn't it? Well, you know, Dan, I actually, only just yesterday, I walk regularly with the Ramblers in England, all over the UK, and there was a path we were on. And at the moment we stopped for the minute silence at 11am, I looked up and the footpath signs said the Pilgrim's Way. Oh my goodness, I got tingles. And in one direction, it was taking you to Portsmouth. In the other direction, it was taking you to Winchester. And I plan to walk a lot of pilgrim paths in the UK and in Europe while I'm here. And that just seemed so perfect for standing there at remembrance, not only, of course, remembering those who served us in the war, but all the other people who have some kind of suffering and the realisation that came to me, our whole life is one big pilgrimage. We are on a spiritual path from the day where, well, not only the day we're born, but when the seed is fertilised right through to when we pass over. And I know a lot of friends and I believe that's only our physical body that dies anyway, but we still exist as a soul, as a spirit. So that was a very big moment for me, that our whole life is a pilgrimage. That's for sure. I think it's a really lovely way to look at life too. Mm. Having been on pilgrimage, a Camino, and knowing that you have bad days, you have good days, but you meet some wonderful people along the way. You meet some people that you're perhaps not so fond of either. But that's the good and the bad of it, and, and you, you live and breathe it and move on and and yeah, it's part of part of life. But something in the email intrigued me. Why did you make a point of going alone on the Camino? Because of the other people's experiences that I had read about and heard about. Sonia Choquette, who's a very spiritual person, a psychic medium, she talked about the importance of connecting to the earth and the energy from the earth because I know the Camino Francis is supposed to be a path on a ley line and that it's parallel to the Milky Way above. Now, I, I read ley lines. I've learned how to douse here in England with an expert. And I believe that when our feet connect, even through our boots, that we are connecting to Mother Earth and a very powerful energy on those paths that have been walked by sacred people before us. And I feel like, well, I know that that is part of the whole transformation and being able to totally be immersed in the energy. Because I find when I go with the Ramblers group, like yesterday and other days, 
people are chatting so much, and me too, that we don't even get to see all of the environment around us and we don't get to really pick up on all of the energies. So I wanted to be totally immersed in that, really experience it and um, do that in silence except for saying Buon Camino or Bom Camino every now and then. And it really was special that way. Tell us about thin spaces on the Camino. Ah, yes, yes. I had some wonderful experiences with those. I'd first heard of that term from a mutual friend, Margaret Caffin, yeah. uh, Maggie. She talked about them in her book, and that was one of the eight that I read. Thanks, Maggie. And um, it's where we connect with the other side of the veil, where I believe our loved ones who have passed over are. And it's an interesting energy like over here at the moment, after Sawain, otherwise known as Halloween, Sawain means the uh, the end of summer, an, an old Druidic Druid um, approach, and they believe that this time of the year here the veil is very thin, and that those of us who wish to would be able to connect with our loved ones who are past. But on on the Camino, those thin places are, are just a different energy. And my first one was walking along one of the boardwalks, you know, how there's the boardwalks right along the coast in the early part. Suddenly I just felt this amazing whoosh of an energy and I seemed to feel it in my crown chakra for those who understand our our chakras, the seven main ones that we have throughout our body from our top of our head to our groin area. And I just felt my crown chakra burst open and this beautiful energy just came pouring in and I felt a bit woozy. In fact, my my new friend Anne, who was walking way behind me because she respected that I wanted to walk solo, she caught up with me and I just said a few words. I said, I can't talk, there's something happening and I just wanted to fully experience it and she respected that and moved on. But the really big experience I had was on the Stone and Waterway after Armentira. That's on the spiritual variant, which I chose to walk. And that was Maggie who recommended that. And as you start into the forest there, oh, it's the most beautiful place. Lots of waterfalls and old mills, the cottages. And I was just probably a third of the way through down at a waterfall feeling it, looking at it, admiring it. And all of a sudden I just became very emotional. It was a a huge energy just came and I started crying And because I'd communicated with Margaret earlier and she had come on at that very moment in Facebook messaging and just talked me through it, which was really special and I'm very grateful to her for that. I let myself just have a little bit of a sob and realised it was just letting go a lot of, past hurts it was phenomenal wow what an exciting thing to happen (laughs) it was Dan and after that I just felt on a high I was so light Mm. and see that's what it does it brings in the light from above from the universe and I was almost walking on clouds (laughs) cloud nine so to speak yeah it was very special and and the universe conspired for me to be there on my own because the hostel, the albergue I'd been at, was totally full and people had gone ahead of me earlier 
And then after all this happened, people came behind me, but I'd already, you know, cleaned myself up and everything by then. And I thought, what a blessing. I was there totally alone with all of this happening and this beautiful energy. It was a highlight, a big, big highlight of my experience. Hmm. How fabulous. That's such a great story. Wow. So so I'm I'm fascinated because you're from Queensland, my home state. We're from the same state. And 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 now you're you you're living in the UK. If I think everybody can tell from your accent that you're Australian. But you wrote to me and said, I came here to the UK to explore sacred sites, to feel their energy and learn more about the Celts, the Druids, pagans, etc., and to walk Caminos. And I definitely have Celtic and Viking DNA. Tell us about that aspect of your life. <laughs> Celts and oh, Druids and pagans. I mean, you, you, yeah. you open that world is so fascinating, right? It is so fascinating, Dan, and I've only scratched the surface. I probably couldn't even explain it enough yet, and which is why I'm wanting to stay here longer to really explore that. But I have been to a number of Druid ceremonies at Avery. I'm, I'm sure everyone's heard of Avery. Well, they certainly know of Stonehenge, and I live quite near Stonehenge at the moment. I'll be moving next year, but... Avery is a lot of people consider a better stone circle than Stonehenge because it's bigger and it's not it's fenced but it's not roped off you can go to the stones you can touch them and you know really explore that so well, I've been to Avery for some druidic ceremonies they have ceremonies at the solstices at the equinoxes like Beltane Sawain, Beltane, all of the, the special seasonal type ceremonies. And it's fascinating to see them all dressed in their cloaks and they have their staff and what they go through. They share poems and prayers. Someone makes a special spirit drink and we all share that. And it's just wonderful being a part of that. I wouldn't be able to do that in Australia, but I am exploring my Celtic background more. My mother's parents were Scottish. They moved out as a teenager and they still had their Scottish accent. I remember very well. They passed away, one when I was a 10-year-old, one when I was about 17. I wish I could ask them questions now. But um, I love to uh, explore that background. And I know that my younger brother, sister and mum had their DNA tested. And my sister, who's a redhead, uh, which is like a throwback to our Scottish um, ancestry because the rest of us were brown or brunette and she had very high Scandinavian DNA and then my brother and mother had some but they had more you know British I I decided I didn't need to get my DNA done because many years ago over on Stradbroke Island good old Stradi up from Brisbane it's yeah. very spiritual very high energy art place Robin LaPlante came there to do a ceremony with a group of us to welcome the whales. You had to see a lot of whales in that area as they're moving past. And whilst I was sitting relaxing one evening, there was an Aboriginal elder there. And she said, oh, my goodness, I can see in your energy field that you've been a Viking warrior in the past and a Celtic warrior in other lifetimes. And, you know, 
how spiritual and and sacred the our aboriginals and their land is so she was there on sacred land at stradbroke so i had to believe her and that, that fascinated me at the time so i thought i don't need to get my dna done i know i've got a connection <laughs> How fascinating. You've done a lot of research as well into divine feminism and masculine. Tell us about that. Yeah, it's interesting too. And there's more studies I want to do in in Glastonbury. They've got what they call a goddess temple there. When I retire next year, I would really like to attend some of their training. But in the meantime, well, I read a a trilogy um, about Mary Magdalene that Kathleen McGowan wrote. So a lot of your listeners may have read those as well. And I've now been on two of her uh, sacred tours, one to France, to the Cathar region, southern France, which is why I want to walk the Camino d'Arles to go through Mary Magdalene country there, because that is the divine feminine. And then there's Isis, and I connect with Isis and Kuan Yin when I do my energy healing and I bring in the divine feminine, we all have the divine feminine and masculine in us. The masculine is very much the leadership aspect and the feminine is the softness, uh, the compassion, the, the love, the peacemakers. So we need both, but we can often be out of balance, um, you know, like our right side and our left side. Anything on our left is is connected to the feminine and on our right is connected to the masculine in our healing and in our energy. And so I wanted to explore all this a lot more by going on these sacred tours and where we went, there's certainly the energy of the divine feminine. And I've since learned to douse and to be able to tell the difference between the masculine currents in the earth and the feminine currents in the earth. So I want to go back and walk the land of Malta and Gozo, as well as southern France, with my dowsing rods and really explore the currents and how they move through there and the ley lines, of course. So the currents are wavy lines, ley lines are straight lines that join one place to another. So I won't go on too long in case you have any questions. Well, well, I just wondered if you might just take a moment to explain exactly what dowsing is. It's just, you said it twice now, and I should have asked you the first time, what exactly is dowsing? Hey, well, you might remember what I know of, water divining. Well, it's similar. It's based on that, that approach. You have copper rods, they're usually copper, and they're an L shape, except that one that you hold in your hand is a lot shorter. It's only a little bit longer than your fist. Because you hold on to those, well, I I douse with one of them now. Some people still do with two. And they they have a few different roles. You can douse for information like you would use a pendulum. I also um, do that sometimes. You can use pendulums. You can program them or ask, you know, decide what is the yes answer and what is a no answer. And the same with the dousing rods. You ask it what uh, show me a yes and then you ask it to show me a no and so then you can douse for information but only closed questions like it would give you a yes or a no answer but when we learnt to, to do that with Maria Wheatley who's a real expert she learnt it from her father who's a well-known expert in the field and now she teaches it 
you hold on to it in your wrist loosely. You ask the question, say I'm asking for, um, is there um, a feminine current nearby? And you'll get your yes or your no. And then you can say the second, use, use the second way you can use dowsing rod to follow a path. And I just ask it now, please show me the female or the feminine current. And it will just lead you on a path. It's amazing. You see the dowsing rod move to the left or the right, and it does go in a wavy line for the masculine and feminine parts. We did a lot of this at Avery because there's a lot of both. You might have heard, I'm not sure, of the Mary Michael ley line that goes from Land's End right through to Norfolk, the right. um, uh, the Suffolk coast and Norfolk coast of England, and I want to walk that Mary Michael pilgrimage. It would be about seven weeks. But that energy there has over 200 sacred sites on them, and that's where we get the Mary Michael currents very strongly because it goes through A3 as one of those. And there's the divine feminine and masculine in all of the currents there. And they, the ancients, our ancestors, have built sacred places on those currents, on those, la- those ley lines. Um, ley lines are like the meridians of the earth, you know, how we have yeah. acupuncture meridians through our body. Well, the earth has its own meridians and chakras. And the ley lines um, and the currents show us where those meridians are. There's also one that goes up through the nearly the middle called the spine of Albion because Albion is what England was called in ancient times. It's also called the Bellinus line. And now a um, person who has done the research on that has written another book, Holy Axis, and that goes through Lindisfarne, the holy island up in northern England, which I visited in August, uh, September. So, yes, it's a, it's a very exciting world when you learn how to douse and use the rods and, and find what our earth has to tell us, wow. what it wants to teach us. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to using them on my next pilgrimage as well. Yeah, and you talked about the Camino Darla. The, I hadn't heard of it before. Tell us about the Camino Darla. It's spelt D-apostrophe-A-R-L-E, and it begins at Arles in southern France near Marseille which is a beautiful area, and it's it's interesting. I only discovered that about that Camino when I was on my Sacred France tour and we went to the cave where Mary Magdalene is said to have um, hung out for about 30 years to be safe because she was being hunted down uh, because she was spreading the same word as Jesus. I do believe the Bible tells us a lot of historical information, and so... She came over to the south of France with her sister Martha and and Lazarus, and she hid away in this cave. So we walked up to this cave, but on the way down, I saw the shell, the Camino shell on a sign, and I thought, oh, my goodness, we've just walked a Camino, Uh part of a Camino, and that was in the days when I was itching to walk one. And it was from then on, this is back in June 2018, from then on I've said I'm walking that Camino. I want to feel the land, feel the energy of where Mary Magdalene has been and the Cathars who are a mix of ancestors and followers 
of that book of love, the message that Jesus had to share. Yeah. So I want to walk it to experience it. And I'll probably try and take a detour to Lourdes um, if I can and any other prominent places like Carcassonne and Montségur where the Cathars were executed yeah, yeah. way back when the Pope ordered the king to kill all the Cathars. And so what we found there, talking of energy, it was beautiful. Even though they were marched to execution, the energy there is nothing but love and peace. And they were spreading the message of love and peace and they were willing to sacrifice their lives. They didn't fight it because they believed in their message. And Kathleen, who ran the tour, Kathleen's the author of the trilogy, she actually explained to us that some of the soldiers, when they got to know some of these Cathars, couldn't understand what was wrong with their message if it's about love and compassion. So they went with them. They, they quite happily surrendered and it got executed with them because they felt unity with this beautiful message and the energy. It's a fascinating story. That is amazing. Camino Darla. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. How fantastic. My goodness, you've done some research. And and you you we talked about your energy healing. You you're a mind body wellness coach and an energy worker as well. So we talked about mm. the ley lines and I suppose in some respects that explains the energy on the Camino. Is it as simple as that though, Gail? Or is there something to do with the people as well and the collective oh. intent and collective sentiment of the pilgrims? Yes, and I do consider the whole collective energy of the world. Like right now, one mentor I follow is encouraging people to not have conflict between them. She believes the conflict in the earth or even earthquakes but energetically, but also war and, and lack of peace in some countries comes from the collective, that we should all have a mindset of peace and getting along with others and being tolerant and understanding. So I believe anyone walking a Camino, if they would pick up on that energy of love, and hopefully, well, I know from accounts of people, your your podcasters, as well as so many other um, people I speak to, that they know they come back changed from the Camino. And so there is a special energy there that's come before the earth holds the memory, trees hold the memory. And I know people who actually can communicate with the trees and rocks and get information from be before of things that have passed there, what have happened there. So because it is a ley line and it's a high energy part of the earth, especially um, on Francis where it's parallel to the Milky Way, yes, they're picking up a beautiful love energy and it's transforming them. It's cracking their hearts open like it did mine that day at the waterfalls where my heart just cracked. I think I'd been putting up a wall of protection after a few issues with relationships. So it's going to crack open whatever they need to be cracked open. Even people who are there to just tick it off a box now that it's become so popular, they don't go away without being transformed in some way. Wow. How fascinating. I love it. 
I love it. Gosh, we could talk for days about all this stuff. Yeah. Honestly, it fascinates me. It really does. But there's something in your life that's really special. Um, something I'd love to do is buy a mini camper van. Oh. <laughs> Tell us about that journey. Yeah. Oh, Dan. Not my little Nessie, I call her. Nessie Nissan. Yeah. Actually, it's interesting. When I was first over here five years ago and was buying a vehicle, Someone said to me then, a camper van would be perfect for you, for what you're wanting to achieve in, in the UK. And I thought, hmm, yeah, interesting. But I thought camper vans would all be really large. And have you, you've been in the UK, haven't you? seen how narrow some of the white Yeah, of course. Are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, my goodness. Yeah, hedges on both sides and only room for one car with an occasional passing lane. I think it was during lockdown I started investigating. I, I bought a, a regular car, a Renault, um, and had that for a couple of years. And it wasn't until lockdown when I started to research a bit more and, and found that you didn't have to even have the VW camper van uh, like a combi, which I also thought was a bit large for me to drive around. I had learned about mini camper vans and so this is what I ended up getting. I did my research, went to a couple of dealers who do the conversions. I knew I wouldn't, I'm not mechanical and I wouldn't be able to do it like some people. And I learned that out of all the mini campers, the Nissan and maybe a larger caddy, a VW caddy, would be uh, long enough and still be like a car to drive to be able to put in a bed, a cooker, a, like just stovetop, fridge, sink and storage. So now I've got this amazing little um, Nissan van that I've done over 20,000 miles. Now, I wish they didn't talk miles here. I'd have to do a quick calculation there about how many kilometres that is. It's about but 30, on my, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, on my odometer, it's 20 or 21 close to now in less than two years because I've driven all around parts of England and went up to Scotland and, and went on the North Coast 500 in the summer during the school holidays. I got a rhythm with it because you've got to put the bed down every night and then put it up again, the rock and roll bed. But I got into a lovely rhythm and it just worked perfectly. I know couples who even travel around in one that size. They'd be pretty cosy at night, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I love it. Yeah. I love it. I it's the best thing I ever did. <laughs> All right. Now, look, we've, it's been so fascinating talking to you, Gail. But there is more to your story. In September, mm -hmm. you were diagnosed with chronic lymphocytic leukemia. How are you? Yeah, I, I'm good. Um, it was a shock, a very big shock. I had a hint at it in July before I went away for the summer, I had a blood test done for something else not related. And she said, hmm, high lymphocytes there. Colleagues recommended she refer me to a hematologist just to check. And because she said it could be blood cancer or, or it could just be that my body was dealing with a virus. Anyway, um, I was going away and they said, oh, well, there's no rush because it's not high. It's not life-threatening. And so it wasn't until August when I was back that uh, I, no, sorry, early September, I got to see the haematologist and he said he did suspect because he was the one who saw my initial blood test and 
he said, just let's do some more blood tests. They took a bucket load. And a couple of weeks, I had to wait three weeks and finally got the answer. And it's like you're like having you're a deer staring into light to think, what, me? I've lived this really healthy lifestyle, I thought. I even used non-toxic products because I was trying to prevent it. Once I got over the initial shock and broke it to my mum and said, but it's okay, I feel fine. And what they told me was, it's it's early, it's very early stage because the level is low and I'm showing very few symptoms. The one that's really obvious is anemia because of the imbalance of the red and white blood cells. But I just did an 11 and a half mile walk yesterday, 21 kilometres with hills. I crashed and burned last Sunday. So I realised, okay, I obviously, I I think the reality hit then and it did upset me because walking's everything to me. (laughs) I'm going to walk all these pilgrimages in my retirement. As they say, don't wait to retirement. I just have to have checkups every six months. I monitor the symptoms. They will monitor it. But I have said to the doctor, the haematologist, in the six months or even after that, I'm going to explore some alternative methods because that's who I am. That's what I do. And I've already had a lovely energy healing, which helped me disassociate from it because I believe If we own a disease too much, we create it. I've even heard of stories where someone was told they only had six months to live and six months later they died and when they did an autopsy they found nothing wrong with them. They talked themselves into it. So that fascinates me. So anyway, I'm going to also go to India. I I believe in the Ayurvedic medicine line and on my way home or back next year, I'm going to have a full punch karma, which is like a rebirth where they cleanse every cell in your body. And the doctor even said, yeah, fine, go ahead. He said, I'll be interested. I'm monitoring you. So it'll be interesting to see if that makes any difference. So that's going to be really good. I'm sure it will make a difference. Yeah, yeah. yeah but it's, it's not good if it's advanced. I feel very lucky if, if I was going to get a cancer, which I hoped I never did, like all of us, this is a good one because apparently it's easily treated too medically. They can push you into remission really easily. Some people live with it for decades and not have any symptoms like a friend's father. And if they do have symptoms, they're mild and they die of something else, not from it, but with it. Yeah. So fingers crossed. I'm keeping fingers and toes crossed and high energy and it's all fine. I'm going to keep walking. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure you are. One of your emails, you signed off with the old Latin phrase, carpe diem, which means seize the day. I kind of get the sense that you are seizing every single day. So it's just been so good to talk to you. Hey, have you got a Camino story for us? Yeah, I I knew you would ask that. So I thought... (laughs) (laughs) It relates to my dear friend, Anne, who's also a faithful listener of yours. I think she said she attended the conference in Canada when you were there. Um, Anyway, we got to chatting and found out we both listen to you and love your podcast. And the way her and I met was quite funny. Not many of the Caminos had communal get-togethers, unfortunately, and not many of the albergues, like I hear about in On the Frances. But one, when I was in Villa 
Villa Char, I was at the hostel, and we were all getting together. So I raced out to the local shop to buy a couple of bottles of wine, which are dirt cheap in Portugal. And I had left over a one litre, of why I bought a one litre, I don't know, of a white wine because we all went out to dinner then and didn't need it. So I thought, well, I'm not going to waste this. It was probably only two euros. I packed it in my backpack. <laughs> so <laughs> I carried the extra weight. The next night I met her in the Villa de Conda, HI, the hostel, the international hostel. I just walked up to her. She looked like a lovely lady. And I had the, the one litre bottle of wine. I said, do you feel like some white, sharing some wine tonight? <laughs> <laughs> oh, do I? She said, that would be fab. So we put it in the fridge and um, later on we met with our, our meal and we finished that litre bottle. There was a lovely Portuguese guy who had one glass, but we polished it off and we bonded over that wine and then didn't see her for a couple of days, but then ran into her in Caminha where we were getting the water taxi the next day, but only after we'd both eaten dinner with someone else. And it was like a long lost friend. Hi, you know, so we saw each other on and off. We stayed, uh, we, we got together in Vigo. And then I saw her again in Redondela and Pontevedra. We stayed in the same hostel there. And we, we just connected. And in the meantime, she had connected with another group of ladies from America and Canada over wine. She overheard, she, she plucked up a courage based on my experience of inviting her. She heard these ladies say, let's go for some wine. So she said, can I come along? <laughs> so wine brought us all together because then when I got into town and saw them all sitting around, I joined them and we became a really good group of friends and hung out in Pontevedra. Then I saw two of the American girls, one of them was ex-Canadian, a couple more times and we got together in Santiago, did a tour together, saw the boat of Fumier in the cathedral together. So our little friendship network lives on. We have a, a WhatsApp group where we keep chatting and Anne and I both want to walk the Camino d'Arles. So Whilst I have said I, I like to walk solo and in silence almost, I know that that will work out. And I'm thinking, be a bit more flexible, Gail. You get on with this lovely lady and and she's dying to hear our interview. So hi, Anne. And, um, yeah, it was a friendship born over a bottle of Portuguese wine. And so whilst <laughs> I don't have a, 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 a story about an angel or whatever, no. I, I think she's been no angel. <laughs> yeah, that's a great story. I love that so much. Oh, that's fantastic. And I, I, that the thing about that that story that I love the most is that it really sums up those opportunities to connect with people and and you having that spiritual, uh, energetic, seeking nature have been able to close that circle and 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 bring together that friendship, which is just a really lovely lovely aspect of your Camino and, and this continuing journey that you're on. I was so delighted to receive your email, Gail. And I know that you keep in touch with my great friend, Margaret Caffin. She's pure delight, Maggie. I'm catching up with her in the next couple of weeks, actually, and I'm really looking forward to it. Gail, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me. Good luck on your camper van travels, your Caminos, and most importantly, your your CLL journey. We'll all keep you in our prayers and... I'm sure that every one of us 
who hears this interview will light a candle for you. So, oh, thank you, Dave. That yeah, means a lot. I, I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. It's been fantastic. Buen Camino. Buen Camino, Dan. My guest this week was Gail Nicholson, an Australian pilgrim now based in the United Kingdom. I feel like I discovered so much in this week's episode. I hope you did too. The American biochemist and pharmacologist John Jacob Abel said, Greater even than the greatest discovery is to keep open the way to future discovery. Amen. Thanks for your company this week and every week. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino.